The scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome everyone. Um, before I begin, I wanna extend a, a word of uh, congratulations. Uh, to a couple of new fathers and some new big brothers. Uh, so I can see um, Victor and Jordan uh, have been able to join us today. Congratulations to you guys on the birth of uh, Josephine and also Pastor Danny. Uh, I see you and the boys are able to join us as well. Congratulations to uh, you and Akemi uh, for the birth of Noah. So I hope uh, the moms are doing well and we are glad to see you guys and I'll continue to uh, pray for you guys. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, once again uh, this day. And I ask now, God, that you would speak to us and that hearing your word, uh, we would be encouraged, that we would find our hope in you, and that you would guide us uh, in what we must do in the days ahead. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. This is now the fifth sermon in a series of sermons I've entitled, Less Fun, More Joy. It's been my prayer that during this season of self-quarantine, though you may be having less fun, that you would experience more joy as you abide more deeply in Jesus Christ, in his word, and in prayer. In our reading today, the Apostle Paul calls us to rejoice. The grammar is in the present imperative meaning that it's a call to rejoice habitually and continually. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord and always. At some point, I hope most of you experienced the initial joy of salvation. When you came to understand and to trust in your heart, mind, and soul in the depth of your being, 
the truth of God's love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you discovered a joy beyond all joys. The challenge, however, is how to maintain that joy, or as Paul says, how do we rejoice in the Lord always, continually, habitually? I think what many of you have discovered in this time of quarantine is that a lot of fun and maybe what you thought of as joy was connected to newness. New experiences like going out to a new restaurant or watching a live and new ball game or seeing the latest movie at the theater. Some people are having a harder time holding a conversation these days because they feel they have nothing new to talk about. In recent weeks, I've noticed that when I've asked people, how are you doing these days? I've been hearing more and more responses like, same old, status quo, no change, like last week, and so on. There is a kind of numbness setting in with the dullness of nothing new. We are all looking for what the media calls new content in our lives. And yet I want to remind you that that kind of joy that comes from newness does not last. And that's why we need more new things and often bigger things, more expensive new things as we get older. Think about any moment of joy or exhilaration that you've had in your life involving something new. No matter how exciting that new video game was or how large that new television set is, the joy of newness simply does not last. And yet so many people get lost in the pursuit of joy, in the joy of newness, to keep on replacing one past new joy with another. A new hobby, a new car, a new job, a new home, a new church, a new boyfriend. Parents will tell you that even the joy of a new baby wears off. I can tell you that um, I was most excited when we had our first child. I'm sorry to my other two kids, but that's just the way it is. I mean, I was so joyful that I took pictures of every little thing that he did. And this was when, you know, before digital cameras, you know, with real film. Look, here's a picture of his first poop. Isn't it wonderful? He opened his eyes. I got to take a picture of that. He turned over. Here he is sitting all by himself. Here he is holding a spoon. Every new outfit he got, we took a picture. Because he was new, because the experience was new, he truly was a bundle of joy. But then we had our second child. There was joy, and it helped that we had the newness of a daughter instead of a son. But the newness of having a child, the joy of the newness of a child was no longer there. I didn't take quite as many pictures. She pooped. And that wasn't cute and made me wonder why did I ever think it was cute? She did not sleep through the night, been there, done that. And then we had a third child and we were mostly too tired. I'm sorry, Max. Even with something as precious as a new child, it's hard to be joyful always. Listen to what GK Chesterton wrote. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, 
Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Grown-ups are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Isn't that true? How can we exult in the repetition of monotony? I know that sometimes kids can get just as easily bored as adults, but kids also have this enormous capacity to exult in monotony. I remember when our kids were little, their favorite Disney movie was Milan. It was actually Peter's favorite movie, and so it became everyone's favorite movie. They would watch it on VHS tape every single day. We didn't have a video player in our car, so whenever I had to drive them anywhere, I had to tell them the story of Mulan again and again, every single day, every time we got in the car, for months on end. We had other cartoons in the house. We had other videos. But every time I suggested we watch something new, they said no, only Mulan. They were strong enough to exult in monotony while I was begging for something new. Listen to the rest of that quote by G.K. Chesterton. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making that. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have grown old, and our father is younger than we. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. It's true. It is much too easy for us to grow old and grow in cynicism, to get jaded, to get tired. We are not strong enough to play children's games again and again and again. Adults always want to quit first. Dad, one more game of hide and seek. No, daddy's got to work. The capacity for joy diminishes and the ease with which we enjoy joy seems to just simply seep out of us as we age. Would you delight? Would you find as much joy in creating the trillionth daisy as making the first? Would you delight in anything that you had to do for the gazillionth time as you did the first? No matter how pleasurable it might have been the first time, Chesterton suggests to us that God does. And what he calls the eternal appetite of infancy points us also in the right direction. How can we rejoice in the Lord always? How can we exult in monotony? How do we get through the routines of life, the cleaning and the cooking, the quarantining, the paying of the bills, working every day, not to mention the difficulties of life? How do we get through that with joy and delight? Always. We saw in the Gospel of John 
Jesus said that the fullness of joy comes from abiding in him. And the Apostle Paul rephrases that here by calling us to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. That's his way of saying abide in Christ. He's just repeating what Christ said, and I'm just repeating what Paul says. And in fact, I've just been basically telling you to abide in Christ for five weeks now. And so maybe you want to hear a new sermon topic at this point. But if you are experienced lasting joy and continue to rejoice always, abiding in Christ or being in the Lord is the only way that can be done. Jesus himself is a source of joy, but he is not merely the object of joy. Remember that the spirit of Christ also lives in you. As Pastor Doe just shared, the spirit of God is our helper and lives in us. That means because the one who lives in you has this eternal capacity for joy, this eternal appetite of infancy, you too can experience that same joy always. Because Christ is in you as you abide in him, the joy that lasts, the joy that continues, the joy that is always is not something that you have to generate or manufacture. It is something that is given to you as a gift by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God. That's how you can rejoice, have joy once again in the Lord. And last week we saw that as we abide in Christ, we can ask for whatever we wish and have the fullness of joy as those prayers are answered. Paul also here links abiding in Christ, being in the Lord with joy and with prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice that Paul is not saying that there isn't anything to be anxious about. He's not saying that the things that you have anxiety over are unimportant or trivial. In this season, you probably have even more anxieties. Paul recognizes that. But instead of sitting on them, he urges us to make ourselves known to God. It's an invitation once again to an honest conversation with God. It's not like God doesn't know about our anxieties. Jesus said in Matthew 6, our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He knows what we need. And in bringing our requests in everything, we acknowledge our total dependence on God and it positions us to trust God. He goes on to say that in everything, we are to ask with thanksgiving. Rather than waiting to have God answer our prayers and then be thankful, which is what we usually do, he calls us to pray, to go before God with our anxieties and pray with thanksgiving to pray before those prayers are answered with thanksgiving. Praying with thanksgiving is a sign of trusting God, that God hears and that God will answer. I know that one of the things that I've been really encouraged to hear in the last few months from you is how so many of you have been thankful, even though the situation has been harder in many ways. You found it hard to be with your kids 24-7, without school, without babysitters, while teaching them, while working. 
but you're thankful that you are getting to know your kids better. You're thankful that you're not so busy that you have to chauffeur them from one place to the next. You found it harder to work from home, but you're thankful that you can work from home or that you have a job. Thankfulness is a sign of faith. And I'm so glad, you know, that uh, Pastor Dohi and the children have been making those thankful chains. I can see the thankful chain behind uh, Pastor Dohi and, and uh, Mr. Enoch uh, in the background. It's a reminder to go before God in thankfulness, to position ourselves in an attitude of prayer in thankfulness. I know it's not easy to pray with thankfulness in the midst of anxious times. It's been a struggle for me this week. I'm sure you have all seen or heard about the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent ongoing protests and riots throughout the country. You have probably felt disgusted and angered, saddened, frustrated, perhaps even hopeless. I found it nearly impossible to pray with thanksgiving regarding this situation. But the Bible says, in everything, pray with thanksgiving. So I have to pray in obedience, in everything, in thanksgiving. And just that turn toward God of confessing, of slowing down, just coming into the presence of the one who made me and the world, to be in the presence of someone who I know to be so powerful, someone who understands and loves me and the world, calms my mind and my heart. When I pray with thankfulness, I can begin to see the truth of Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace, in perfect shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It is hard to know what to say and what to do right now. I know that the country and those who call themselves Christians are sharply divided. But regardless of the differences in our politics, regardless of the differences in our politics of race, our shared Christian theology calls us to repent, to share in the sorrow and in the pain, to stand in solidarity with the oppressed, to love and to call for justice. Praying with thanksgiving is a start. I know that for myself, that as I prayed, I was led to reach out to a few black church leaders that I know, and I simply asked them how I and we as a church might support our suffering sisters and brothers how we might do more than simply extend our thoughts and prayers. There are no easy answers, but I'm beginning to have those conversations. Whatever you're anxious about, God is inviting us to bring it to him. He is near, Paul tells us. And by the way, the you throughout this patch passage, as it usually is in the Bible, is in the plural. So this is not just a prayer for an inner personal peace, but the peace, the shalom, the well-being of the whole community, 
There can be no genuine peace unless there is peace and well-being for everyone. And notice that as we pray our anxieties, the promise of God is the peace of God. That is an incredible promise for us to cling to. But Paul says, as you practice these things, that as you continue to bring your supplications in thanksgiving before God, Paul says, the God of peace will be with you, which is far better. And this is the secret of joy, which you have heard before. As great as the peace of God that surpasses understanding is, there is something far better. There is something better than the love of God. There is something better than the grace of God. And that is the God of peace. It is the God of love. It is the God of grace. I know that most of the time we pray for things. We want peace in our lives. We want grace and love, patience, more spirituality. That's not a bad starting place. That's not wrong. Ask away. Ask and you shall receive. You have not because you have asked not. But that's just the beginning. Hopefully, as you pray and as you grow, you will see that it's not just a matter of how can I have more stuff, more virtues, more peace, but how can I have more of God, the God of peace? Prayer will ultimately lead you deeper into Christ. Eugene Peterson makes this observation. Somewhere along the way, most of us pick up bad habits of extracting from the Bible what we pretentiously call spiritual principles, moral guidelines, and then corsetting ourselves in them in order to force a godly shape on our lives. That's a mighty uncomfortable way to go about improving our condition, and it's not the gospel way. I've never worn a corset, but I imagine it would be very uncomfortable. We can easily fall into the trap that a person through strong discipline can be good or good enough or be more deserving of getting closer to God. Prayer then becomes a kind of self-improvement program or a means of getting more peace or some other spiritual virtue. But that is not the gospel way. What Paul discovered and what I've been trying to tell you for these last several weeks is that joy not only comes from Jesus Christ, but joy is Jesus Christ. And let me remind you that Paul is not calling us to rejoice always from some ivory tower or luxurious apartment. He has been unjustly imprisoned. He's sitting in jail. And before he was imprisoned, he'd been stoned, he'd been flogged, beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, and is now facing potential execution. And yet he has joy. And he calls us to joy always. He's able to do that because he has experienced the presence of the God of peace. He's able to say that he has learned to be content in every circumstance, whether at a party or in self-quarantine, whether being brought low or having more than enough, whether he's in danger of starving or eating the most luxurious of foods. Because God is present in his life, because he abides in Christ, because he is in the Lord, he is content and able to rejoice. The circumstances of his surrounding 
does not dictate his contentment and joy. Because as he concludes in verse 13, I can do all things through him. That is Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. I can have joy in all situations because Christ strengthens me. Or as the Amplified Bible translates it, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength within me. I become self-sufficient through Christ's sufficiency. Contentment was a favorite idea of the Stoics and the Cynics of Paul's day. The word means to be self-contained. Literally, it meant self-rule. Our English word content has the same origin. To be content is to be contained with the understanding of self-contained. And I might even go with self-quarantined. In Paul's day, this word was sometimes used to describe a nation that didn't need to import anything. So it's a word that expresses independence, self-sufficiency. That's an idea that I know resonates with the American people. But Paul flips it completely around. He says, in effect, I have this contentment which you are all striving for, but it doesn't come from me. It's not my own self-sufficiency. Rather, it's in Jesus Christ. Contentment and joy are only possible in the Lord. He knows, he has learned that in those extremities of life where he has no control, where he has no human resource, he is infused with the supernatural strength of Christ as he abides in the Lord. He has learned the truth of God's empowering presence. As it says in Isaiah 40, God gives power to the faint and strength and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You and I have this same spirit of God abiding in us. You too can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. So whatever anxieties you have today, go to Christ in prayer, in the Lord, in supplication, with thanksgiving, and make your requests known to God. And may you experience the peace of God. And more importantly, may you experience the God of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we come today with much on our hearts and minds. We've been reminded once again, once again, of how far we have fallen from your ways. The inequality, the racism, the hate, the violence that makes us question our very humanity. We bring to you all our anxieties, all our emotions, anger, frustration, horror, everything. And we want to do so in obedience, in thanksgiving. So God, help us to know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And help us to know you, the God of peace, 
so that we in turn might become peacemakers. In the midst of chaos, let your joy keep us grounded. In this time and in every time, help us to cling to the hope, the only hope that we have in you, to know that we can do all things in Christ, in the Lord, abiding in him who strengthens us. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.